Are you ready? There's no crying in baseball! You think you can tell us what to do? Alrighty then. You think you can tell us what to wear? Alright, alright, alright. You think that you're better? Just a bit outside. You can't handle the truth! And here we go. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to an edition here of Morning Heaters here at the Foreman's Edge. Uh, ready for our first roundtable discussion. Uh, we have our uh, full staff with us today, and we're really looking forward to it. Excited to get this off the ground. It's, it's been in the works for a while now, but I am really thrilled, um, fired up. I just really hope somebody out there is going to listen to this uh, soon. And if you are listening to it, please click, give us five stars, download it, and let us know what you think about it. I want to introduce uh, who's with us right now, uh, my co-host. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, Mr. Daniel Mingdon. He was a local Westside High School graduate, a Texas uh, A&M alum, drafted by your Houston Astros, um, major league pitcher, professional pitcher, Daniel Mingdon. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing all right, man. I'm glad to have you on board. Uh, to my left over here, uh, our hitting director, uh, J.R. Barden. He'll dive into who he is over the next few shows. J.R. has been in the select world. He's been in the scouting world, has a just unbelievable amount of knowledge. Um, he's also a big smartass, so he'll fit right in with this crew and what we're trying to do. J.R., how are you? Fine, Derek. Thank you for asking. Yeah, here we go already. Um, he's also, I guess, uh, he's kind of stepping in as our producer today. Our producer, Kobe Rich, Get Rich Digital, got stuck. You know, I-10, man. I-10 driving in. Hey, traffic in Texas, man. It's something else sometimes. Yeah, we got to tell Kobe. I mean, if he's, if he's going to be a Houston guy, he's going to have to learn to leave at least two hours early. So, and then um, the always, sorry, ladies, he's, he's not single anymore, basically married, but Mr. Chris Parsons is with us. I am here. I mean, the back of my head looks great on camera right now. The hair is going, so. You have great hair. Thank you. You have a great flow. Great Appreciate flow. It. Face back up. Yeah. A little bit. Not the best mustache. No can't get there yet we all can't be you that's okay that's okay um so yeah no we got a good show lined up for you we're going to dive into some um topics with daniel and uh covid's impact on baseball today that like we talked about we're gonna have an interview with robbie grossman um throw out a little fantasy football maybe a little aggie football talk as well and um we'll see um talk about some modern day training with athletes and youth and what's going on at performance edge so we'll dive right into it um rock and roll yeah, so uh, coming off into it, I mean, we're obviously still dealing with COVID. Um, uh, it, it's unfortunate. We, we, we went through the shutdown here at Performance Edge, and it, it definitely set us back uh, in, in many ways financially. However, um, we were able, let me talk about that real quick. Uh, you know, we were able to get everybody online remotely and start training. Uh, I have to say I'm, I'm very pleased and proud of how a lot of our athletes, high school college athletes responded to that man these guys went to work and it was cool to see like when something was taking away from them their high school season gets canceled so then we're starting to train here and then boom we go into a shutdown we're told that we're not allowed to train we scramble we start doing everything remotely i don't think i ever worked as hard in my whole life as what we did during that six or seven weeks uh daily zoom meetings and organizing late night calls but man they responded not only did they respond i'm not saying by doing it like some of our college and high school guys like were setting PRs as soon as they got back in the weight room on the mound, the velocity, like these guys took it and ran with it. So it's kind of cool to see some of these guys when something's taken away from you, how they were able to respond. You really, you know, saw the grit in some of our athletes there. Yeah. I think it might've even, uh, you know, 
lit a fire under them a little bit because what they love, what they, you know, what they want to do, play baseball and get out there with their friends and train, be on the mound, get better, was just stripped away. And then we're stuck at home, can't do anything. So you might have had that lull period of a week or two, and then all of a sudden it's just like, well, I want to do something. And so I think that's why they got so proactive, and that's why they they were so willing to do something is because we were stuck at home and we couldn't do anything. The one thing that that stands out the most to me is the fact that it was really a reality challenge. They had every opportunity not to work because no one's watching. Exactly. And I was was impressed because our guys – a hundred of them on a Zoom call at one time, asking questions, you know, and, and throwing out videos, and like these guys are busting busting their tails when no one's watching. That that that's reality. No, that's, that, that's and, that, and that's that's the biggest thing in all sports. I think that's the most important time is when you're getting your work in. Do you continue to work as hard as you like as hard as you would be if people are watching you? And you know, you're by yourself at your house, all alone. Having to do your workout by yourself, you maybe had some music, but you don't have anybody what, to talk to. What's your you motivation? Have, exactly. There's nothing. There's no. There's nothing there, and so it's just one of those things where I think it was just a huge, a huge step for all those kids to learn and understand that if they want to play and they want to grind, it that's the most important part is when nobody's watching. Yeah, I mean, we were having to write out programs, you know, for kids. Like, hey, do you have weight sets at home? What are you doing? Body weight programs, throwing programs in different phases, and where they were five, six days a week. I was worried my initial fear with everybody was how do we keep these guys engaged in something that we live in a world, if you want it, they go get it. You want training? I want to go see this guy right now. I'm going in. And so maybe, I don't know. I know for me, I think we kind of took it for granted a little bit and how fortunate we really are. So we were able to set back. I think our athletes got a taste of that. And man, you talk about, they were pushing us to give them more and we talked about I mean, that's, that's what you want. That's, that's the it. way they adapted, though. Like the most impressive thing, we have a video of one of our guys, and we, we'll show this at some point. You know, workout equipment was so hard to come by because it was like everyone's buying it because everybody's starting to train out of their, out of their you know, out of their own personal yeah. garages and gyms. We had a guy, you know, walk around with square bells, and he's doing, you know, like it's how do you Farmers adapt? Walk. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's 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 some old school stuff, but. Find, you know, he's Final finding way. ways to get it done. Yep. On that note, just to throw this out there, we did give out, we gave out like all of our equipment too. Kids didn't have any things like come and take it. If you still have some of our equipment, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're missing like five shoulder tubes and wrist weights. I mean, you know, if you if you have it, use it, but don't be afraid to check it back in, you know, and you can check it back out again if you need it. Maybe we'll hook you up with our boys, Oat Specialties, get you a discount or something, but you know, we we kind of need that stuff back. COVID's tough times, man. It, 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 <laughs> it, it, it's tough for sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and staying on the COVID, you know, um, you know, you being, you know, a professional athlete, you know, I'd like to ask you the impact that it had on the MLB season, you know. I know we'll touch with it with Robbie a little bit later, but just for you as a pitcher, I mean, look, I've been to Minute Maid, the Minute Maid Classic, Right. And love it. And fortunately, it looks like we may not get to have that this year. But I picture that stadium with a thousand fans and you hear the metal bats in there and everything echoes. Was that what it's like throwing in a big league stadium with nobody there? Uh, it was weird. Um, you could hear, you know, a pen drop in between pitches. You could hear people breathing. You could. It was it was just weird. It was it was just one of those things where it was like inter-squad game that you had to play, but it mattered. 
Yeah. Like there's, you know, you had to bring your own energy. You had to figure it out on your own because you didn't have the, the extra adrenaline push and the extra, you know, outside stressors of 30 to 40,000 people screaming at you. You know, they tried pumping in the, the fake crowd noise, but it was terrible. It was just the worst. Yeah, it was, trust me, from our end, you know, listening to it, we could tell. And then uh, even the fans that were there, the five family members looked like they were falling asleep every time. In fact, we have a shot in one of the games where the announcer forgot almost that it was being pumped in. He's like, man, the crowd's really getting into it here. And maybe it was, you know, tongue in cheek. But then he go, they go to the five fans and literally the girl's asleep sitting there at the stadium. I mean, that, you know, that's baseball in a nutshell, but... Did maybe, is it possible that some athletes, I don't say take it for granted, but when you do it every day and you're throwing it, you adapt to it. But when it's taking away the energy that the crowd actually does bring, was it just, is it something you had to get used to? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, all of us complained about it a little bit. Just, like I said, it's just the, the, the outside, you don't even realize it, but the outside crowd noise, the, you know, the screaming, hollering, just the whole aspect of the stadium noise, you know, that they're, you know, get the fans going, fans are there. It's just there's an extra little bit of a fire. And then all of a sudden it was just dead silent. So I, I think this actually may end an age-old argument. And something that JR always rides my ass about is with the Dallas Cowboys, I like to say we. So it seemed like Daniel's confirming that the fans are part of that energy. They're part of your, you know, your process and how you get out there and do your thing. So I think it's fair for fans to say we. Like we as Oakland Athletic fans, we the Houston Astros, we the Dallas Cowboys. We them boys. He's confirmed. We are, we them boys, right? We're not real good right now, but we them boys. So Daniel's confirming that the fans are a crucial part of the success of the team. Am I am I hitting, getting that right? I mean, that could be my opinion, but I that's what I think. I think your opinion's valid. In I mean, I mean, I'll just give you an example. I remember when uh, when we were in a, the heat of the year and it was A's versus Astros when we were here in Houston. And, you know, when we play in Oakland, we only, you know, get ten to 20,000. Hopefully on a weekend we can pull out a little bit better. But when you're over here in the juice box and you got 35,000 people roaring, it, it it's a huge difference. When you're on the mound and you hear 35,000 people screaming on top of crowd noise and then the announcer getting the crowd going, you feel, you feel the radiation, like, or the vibrations of the stadium. Like, it's... No matter how tunnel vision you get with the catcher, you know, me and the catcher, we're locked in and everything, you still feel it. It's yeah. there. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, people, you can say whatever you want, but, I mean, watching live sports for me is my favorite, no yeah. matter what sport it is. Well, that confirms that I can continue to say we when uh, talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Um, <sighs> I guess I need to cheer louder this year. I don't know. <laughs> um, on that, you talk about coming to Houston and COVID. I mean, I hate doing this, but I, you know, you came down to Houston and you didn't get to go back to Oakland and several of y'all, you know, you came down with, um, you got the COVID and, uh, you were, you were forced to stay home. And, um, I, What's crazy is, is like how, to me, how much backlash you got for it and the hate. And, and like one of the comments that stands out here, and I'll, I'll read it real quick on the air, you know, uh, you know, fans are fans and, you know, Twitter heroes and keyboard heroes, you know, they won't say anything this to your face or anything, but to sum it up, um, how people felt about you getting COVID, um, uh, good morning to everyone except Daniel Mingdon. Fuck that dude. Right. So Yeah the hate you got from getting COVID. I mean, what are your thoughts? Like, what do you want to address there? I mean, you know, it's control what you can control. Um, you know, 
We have good critics. We have bad critics. They love us when we're good. They hate us when we're bad. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's the nature of the beast. And, you know, for me, um, came down to Houston. Uh, you know, we're under the uh, strict protocols. I mean, it, we'd, it, I'd take the whole podcast telling you what we had to do every single day for, you know, the amount of testing, what we had to write down, who we had to talk to, temperature checks, this, that, the whole nine yards. And, you know, it's one of those things where we're only allowed six hours at the field. Everyone was lining up to get to the field at the same time. We all had to run through all this testing, all the stuff. And, you know, everyone's yelling at me, oh, you know, we were in, I was in Houston. I broke the rules. I did that. You know, Bob Melvin, our GM, everyone came out and said no protocols were broken. And I didn't break any protocol. And that's, that's, that, that's the fact. That's the basic fact line. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, uh, we were coming to town, um, the way the testing was done to see your significant other, you know, you had to, she had to do a test. So my wife did her test when she was supposed to on Monday. Well, you know, mother nature, we had, uh, I believe it was hurricane Laura coming through, uh, new Orleans and Houston didn't know where it was going to go. Um, I guess the shipping got backed up and everything that happened, uh, and every single day, you know, I kept asking our training staff, Hey, did, uh, you get Danielle's test back yet? Have you got it back on Tuesday? No, not yet. Delayed Wednesday. No delayed. We're flying in Thursday. And I was like, Hey, do we have the test results yet? And they were like, no, we don't have it yet. But, um, you know, we arrive and I actually, (laughs) I get in an Uber with Robbie Grossman and we Uber home together. I go see my wife. He goes home to see his girlfriend. Uh, you know, everything's fine and dandy. I'm there that night, you know, and, you know, just go to sleep in my house with my wife for, you know, not even eight to 10 hours. I come to the field that Friday morning, we do our COVID testing. And then that Friday night at one in the morning, they, they call me and say, Hey, you know, you tested positive for COVID. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it could happen to anybody. I think it's the moral of the story, even though, you know, we had our, uh, I guess our bubble and all the protocols we were doing and, you know, uh, my dad actually even wanted to see me and I told him, no, I can't go see you. I told you on, you know, the weeks before yeah. that if you wanted to see me, you had to go through the same testing that Danielle had to do. And he was just like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm your, I'm your father. I should be able to come see you. And I told him, no, he wanted to come to my house and see me because I hadn't seen him since uh, whenever we left, you know, yeah. in May. So it's been two or three months since I even saw my, my mother and father. And I had to tell them, no, I can't go see you because you didn't you know, you didn't follow the rules. I don't want to get in trouble because there were a lot of players breaking protocol. There were pr- players getting in trouble for it. So, you know, I'm not superstar. I, you know, I'm expendable. Yeah. So for me, I was following every single rule. You know, people could say what I say, what they want about me. I don't, I don't care. It's just, it's just one of those things where, you know, I followed every single rule we had and I still ended up getting it. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people took it as, you know, Mingden comes home to Houston. He's out partying and, and you know, the people were uh, they, the they big think, partier that he is. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, he's out partying. He's not following protocols. He didn't care this and that. And that's that's frozen the truth. And that's and that's all the MLB guys for the most part. You know, you had you had a couple, you know, sour grapes who got caught going and doing things. But that doesn't I mean, you, you guys had to go through a lot. And I don't I don't think people understand um, what it took for y'all to make that season happen. And in a way, you did it for yourselves. You did it for your career, your livelihood. But it also, I know you guys wanted to get back to give us, to give fans some sense of normalcy and living. I, I honestly, I couldn't imagine going through COVID or even other families going through some of this and the struggles 
without some sort of normalcy to be able to flip on and 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 watch you guys play to be able to flip on and watch the Dallas Cowboys um, get their ass kicked again but at least I get to right now yeah I mean that's what and, that's what really sucked too is you know we went through an entire offseason we got ready we show up to spring training we get through I think it was maybe two weeks maybe or not even 10 days as uh, you know legit spring training we we play you know five six seven games I mean maybe we got a little more than that but all of a, and it all of a sudden just came to an abrupt stop. Boom. Yeah. Everyone was sent home. So it was, you know, it was one of those things where the whole time, you know, we it was the unknown. No one knew what was going on. We worked as hard as we did for the, the season to get here, like you said. And we want we, we're all hungry. We're all competitors. Yeah. And, you know, playing at this high level, you know, putting the jersey on and you know, being out there, that that's where we want to be. And yeah. so, you know, we had the abrupt stop. Then it was the awkward grind of, we're going to start soon. Wait. Yeah. We're going to start soon and wait, wait, wait. And finally we start back up again. And then we had, I mean, the rules on rules on rules. We had the, we, we called it the mask police. We had a, a little hall monitor lady that was in our locker room all the time. You know, we had all the, all the rules and all the regulations that every other sports team has. It's just, you know, it's just the luck of the draw. Yeah, I mean, and you guys got to start up. Meanwhile, we, we, we've got, you know, most, you know, minor league. We've had guys that were here. They left for spring training. Everything's good. COVID Thursday happened. I remember I was riding in the truck, coming to Performance Edge. Chris was with me. And COVID was starting to, like, get hot. And everybody was kind of starting to wonder what's going on. And Chris looks at me and I'll never forget. He goes, uh, the College World Series just got canceled. And we're like, Why? Because of COVID? And it was like, uh-oh. Like, when that happens that early, and then it's just a domino effect, and the trickle down. Um, and so we've had minor league guys, you know, not just here, at every facility, I'm sure, like, they leave, and you start getting phone calls, like, um, I'm coming back. And they came back, hey, we're going to start up. No, we're going to start up next month. No, and the next thing you know, like, they're here till September, and they're almost in the same cycle now. So we're having to create, new programs and new ideas and, and like i was glad like poppy and those guys at dst they did some live ab's out there at premiere so that was good for some of our guys to go to and for them i mean you're literally making it up on the fly and you can't help i mean some of these minor league guys they make nothing so i i do applaud a lot of these organizations for keeping them on and guaranteeing like hey we're gonna at least pay you through this month and when that got there they found a way to keep going so somebody was behind the scenes <clears throat> fighting for these minor league athletes to keep them there and it's not glamorous. I mean, uh, one of ours, Mitchell Walters, right? I mean, he works for us too in the off season and he doesn't get paid well here, right? He gets paid decent, but not well. I mean, he makes more money here than what he does as a professional athlete. And so for everything to be up in limbo for those guys um, and for them to go through it, it, it's not easy. And it's not easy to sit here and train without a future and not knowing what's going on. So, and, and here we go are into 2021, Unknown. Nobody knows. Nobody knows, right? I mean, you guys who are MLB status or AAA status, they have a pretty good idea y'all are going to start. We don't know when and may get pushed back, but y'all are going to play. But for everybody else, we don't know, man. And that's, you know, I'm running out of things to necessarily tell him and motivate him, but it's just control. We can control right now and go forward. So I'm really hoping we can find a way to get these guys on. But it was cool. Like I said, I think some MLB's fighting to get these guys and get them paid and find a way to keep it on. Because you talk about a game changer forever. If we have to start cutting minor league systems that won't ever recover. Well, they already didn't they cut 
I think 30 teams already. I think the yeah. the lower end teams, the the like the advanced rookie balls or something like that. Yeah. I think they cut 30 teams. Yeah, and that was already kind of in the work, so it was just like the timing of it. Um, you know, good timing, I guess, by MLB. But uh, yeah, and for those athletes, uh, but not just in MLB. And we talk about minor league athletes. The college recruiting world has been flipped upside down as well and you talk about scrambling from just dead periods i think i mean the dead period started with the summer so guys are playing summer select ball which you're able to get and then it's uh, extended for a month then it was extended a month and then, then it's extended, extended a month right so these guys you know certain schools which still confuses me like why can certain divisions um they're allowed to go recruit at d2s and some schools but division one's not Okay. Look, I mean, it doesn't. It's our first pandemic, I guess, in in in, um, in a long time, and, and so they're having to change the rules. But I mean, it makes no sense. College coaches have no idea what's going on. I mean, leave it up to the NCAA to not have a clue what's going on either with it. But for the athlete, right? For the twenty twenty, um, I say that the twenty twenty one twenty twenty two class. Good luck. Yeah. Get this. So, I'm talking with a couple coaches around you know around the country, uh, junior college players right now so if you were a a 2020 grad you have this year that doesn't count against you you have so this season so basically what you're talking about is you're talking about a kid that's going to come out so last year's season didn't count as a, 2020 season so, so, the, so the 2020 players from last year and the 2021s from this year do not count against your eligibility. So you're going to have kids that have been two years in junior college that when it's time to go to a Division One school, go in as freshmen. So talk about talk about a crazy world. Why would a college coach recruit an 18-year-old kid when he can get a kid who's a freshman going in classification the same age, two years older, two years more mature? I was say a mature Talking freshman. about a logjam of players. And that's, that's a tough scenario, and they've got four years to play. Wait, so you're saying that for JUCO baseball – the 2021 season that hasn't happened yet, that we don't even know if we're having yet. If they play or not, they're not counting it against us. They came out last month and said that. That's correct. So 2020 season and 2021 season do not count against you. So if you're a 2021 or 2022, or now that extends into 2023 high school grad, you better throw 90. You better be a dude. That's it. You better better be, you know, one of those premier or elitist type players, and, and that's... And, and from, a, then, from a Division One standpoint, the, those are the guys, you know, that's that's just where we're at. And then NCAA just passed it, allowing colleges, which I actually agreed with this move because they got to take care of the schools and universities, especially baseball with limited scholarships. They allowed it to, well, there's no 25% minimum anymore. So they want to give you 5%. They want to give you books. They can. Um, they got to kind of link that out. Golly, that's, I know they expanded the rosters a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I wonder what that's going to do for even, you know, is that going to make high school players more, you know, more willing to go in the draft now? Well, the hard part is the hard part is this, so and you would think it would, but the hard part is is you know where where are those guys going to you know where are they, they going to go? They don't get a season back in high school. Yeah, that's yeah. so. The, so <laughs> there when you when your clock ends in high school, yeah. you're, it's done. It's, it's it, done. It's a log jam, and it's you know again, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in that in that situation right now as a as a high school player. Um, you know, I feel for some of those guys. It's, you know, yeah, be lucky that you got your deal. Be lucky that you're you know, performance edge player of the month. That's no joke. <laughs> I hope you sign that paperwork quickly. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, it is, and it's unfortunate, you know. Um, 
and a lot of people don't understand. I mean, this is what, again, like these guys dream of this since high school year you get to or since middle school and stuff as a kid you, this is why we're playing select ball when we have five u and six u baseball going on in our country for a reason right it's not just all about necessarily going out and playing fun right this is a dream and a passion for people to go play college baseball it is real whether you call it a business and knock it or not it is a business right and some of us work hard to do it well and when you have our athletes who are stuck and you can't look at them and give them answers, it's incredible. So there's going to be a reality check on those guys. So it comes back to the age-old question we ask guys all the time. Do you want to play college baseball? Because these same opportunities that you're looking for may be gone. We're going to find out real quick who really wants to go play college baseball. right? If you're a baseball guy, you know what that question is. Do you really want to play? Yeah, I mean, if you're working hard, you have to work even harder because the opportunity window just got very, very small. Um, for us, I mean, I know it doesn't make anybody feel any better. I mean, when the people ask me about performance edge and the business and how it's going, you know, personal, how are you doing? I'm like, you know, it sucks, but we're not alone in it. So I'm not going to sit here and bitch and whine and complain about our opportunities and things we lost. We're all in this together. We all have families, other businesses and the impacts that it's had other companies. I mean, I remember during COVID, uh, I'll say this now, like I, I'm glad that I'm friends with Kevin Poppy with DST and those guys. But as soon as it hit that Thursday, Right. I remember texting Kevin and uh, just basically saying something along the line of, hey, what does this mean? Like Kevin had these answers out there with COVID, just looking for comfort from somebody else. And he's like, well, it looks like it means we may be shutting down. I mean, you know, I got the answer back. I'm like, what do you think? And, and so we were able to kind of go back and forth, two different companies, you know, competitors, non-competitors. But, hey, how are you guys doing? What are you doing for protocols? And we were able to work back and forth. So, I, I, I one, I was appreciative of him being open to us. And it kind of helped me through to know that, you know, we're not alone in this. And same thing with these athletes. You know, look around you. All your peers are going through the same thing. One way or the other, we'll get through it. And we'll get back on track with it eventually. But I just have a feeling this next 2021 is going to be very similar, at least in the sports world. It's going to be very similar to 2020. And for maybe years to come, you know, we're just talking about it, what are the effects of it with the, um, you know, MLB and um, uh, college baseball, high school. You know, you being an Aggie, right? Are you wearing your ring, by the way? I'm wearing it. Now, JR likes to call A&M a cult. Is it a cult? I mean... A lot of people say that. I mean, I think it's just a great coalition of people that come together and have the same values and traditions, and they really appreciate that. And, you know, I think it's just one big family, I would say, over a cult to make it sound a little nicer. I think that's exactly how you would describe a cult. Same values. <laughs> same beliefs. Same beliefs. Family. Merriam-Webster definition of cult. I, I, I will I will give Daniel that. I mean, look, to me, there's two big college cults in Texas. It's University of Texas. Who doesn't have their traditions, right? They just talk about sips. And then you've got the Aggies. I will say, though, I mean, um, everybody asked me, some of my favorite experiences in my life are going to an Aggie football game. Whether you're, I mean, you you root for them or not, it's incredible. Going to A&M baseball games, like watching you throw, it was just like, dude, these guys, they don't care. They have five wins on the year, 40 wins. They're going to fill the stands. They're going to be there, and they're going to talk smack better than anybody else in the country. Oh, yeah. That's that's they find a way to talk smack and not win sometimes. That's what blows my mind. They are ultimate at it. And they're almost like Cowboys fans. Don't y'all even see mm, mm. it hurts. It stings. I have no comebacks this year. <laughs> that's the deal. So it's not gonna be as fun. I, you're right. You are right. And honestly, too, I'm just gonna throw this out there now. We're talking about Texas AM. I think Texas and AM should play every year across every sport for the rivalry. I do not care about 
oh, who's better than who? Every single year, every single sport, AM, UT, bring it back. Bring back Thanksgiving football. That's yeah. I Nothing mean, against LSU. It's, I mean, it's fun. It's not the same. No. But I'm, I just I just hate how it's just a bickering match between the A and M and UT about like oh well, we don't want to play because of this 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 or this just like no come on, just every year play each other bring the fire and you never know what's gonna happen yeah sometimes it's not about you it is about the fans and and the athletes and that was one of the incredible series one of the incredible games you look forward to because there was a lot of years right through the 90s or 2000s where A and M was struggling they were behind but that game it didn't matter. It's like it's it's like Texas and Oklahoma. It doesn't matter. Throw it out the window. That game A and M always showed up to play. That game Texas always shows up to play. And for years A and M had the opportunity to knock Texas off the board, and they did a couple of times. And so, yeah, there's things like that that just need to come back. Like these, this getting in the money and all these contracts now. It's like it's old for us. Like yeah. you're right, Texas, A and M rivalries drive sports. Yeah. Just in my opinion. Two Colts hitting head-to-head. <laughs> Who's the ultimate Colt in the state of Texas? I love it. All right, guys, we're going to our next segment here. Uh, guest we have with us today, he's a local boy, a professional baseball player. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, um, he's an incredible person, an incredible athlete, and we're blessed to have him on our show today. He was a uh, Cypher High School alum and um, former Houston Astro. Uh, just finished a year up with the Oakland Athletics. Uh, I'd like to... Welcome, Robbie Grossman, to our show today. Robbie, uh, how are you doing, man? Doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, excited to excited to be a part of this. Yeah, so you're just uh, kind of kicking into your off season, getting ready, um, obviously for 2021 season. Uh, how's that looking so far? Looks great. Um, you know, just getting back in the gym. Um, started hitting again last week, and uh, and getting back, getting rolling again. And Excited. I've been home too long. I'm excited to get back and get spring training going. Been home too long. I mean, you've been home for what, three or four weeks? No, what, about two months. Almost. Two months now. Yeah. How, uh, I mean, looking at it, I mean, obviously going through 2020 and COVID, you know, um, just kind of paint a picture. What was that like? What was it like playing without fans this year, you know, a shortened season? It was different. Um, a lot of aspects were different. Just the, the time restraints, the no fans, the limited time in the cage, limited time in the training room. Um, there was a lot of obstacles to cover, and uh, it was just uh, it was a grind every day, especially with the schedule. Um, it seems like I think we played one one series where we had two night games in a row, and that was the, the whole year. Um, so it was a lot of early, early get to the field, stay in hotels, and uh, it was a lot of obstacles, but um, we grinded through it, and uh, – the season didn't end up how we wanted, but we, uh, we we gave it our best shot. Yeah, I mean, y'all, y'all as usual, I mean, in Oakland, y'all y'all find a way to put together these incredible runs and these incredible teams. And at some time in the past few years, y'all, you know, Oakland has been, you know, one of the most exciting teams in baseball to watch. Um, so, I mean, I got to ask, you know, for some of the – for some of the fans out there, I mean, did it mean as much? You know, this could be for both of you guys, for Daniel and for Robbie. You're playing in a shortened season, I know people argued it a little bit. Is it the same as playing a 162-game schedule? Did it mean as much to you guys, you know, going out there and competing? I mean, it's a season. doesn't matter how many games. Uh, I'm going to say 100%. Um, anytime you get to put on that major league uniform, um, it matters. Uh, I, don't, I don't really care what other people think or have to say on the outside about the shortened season or anything. Like, they still played for – still play for the World Series, the trophy, at the end of the year. And um, 
those are the rules we played under this year, and those are the circumstances we played under. And um, but for me, it's just anytime you get to put on a major league uniform, it's it's a it's a big deal and it means something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every time you step in between the lines, you're competing. Doesn't matter sixty games. Doesn't matter one hundred sixty-two. You're you're out there competing. You know, like Robbie said, you we were privileged to put on the major league uniform, and you know, I love every minute of it. I only get to play, you know, once every five days. Robbie gets a chance to play. Too, it doesn't matter. It's just you're out there competing. You're out there grinding. Yeah. So kind of kind of turn back the time a little bit here. So it says I, I see that you were a four year letter at Cypher High School, right? And I mean, when you look kind of your your career, about it's it's really exciting. Like you got to live and go through a lot of experiences that most guys just dream, you know, kind of dream of. So you were made varsity your freshman year, Cypher. Let's see, uh, freshman first team all district. Right. Uh, you won a state championship, 5A state championship your junior year at high school ball. I mean, kind of if you can go back, like what was your experience in playing high school ball? Because, again, it's, we're kids today. We're going to kind of touch on that segment about high school ball versus select. But for you to be able to go in all district as a freshman, win a state championship. I mean, what was that like for you? It was, it was special, but I just remember being an eighth grader, seventh, eighth grader. And that's when I really started, like, really knowing baseball was my was my future or calling. Like, I played football. I played other sports. But baseball is something I really had a passion about. And I remember going into my freshman year at high school. Like, my whole goal was to make the varsity team. And uh, I, I, I can't even remember. Who, like, the tryouts and everything. Like, I, I showed my worth. Ended up making the team. And, and, and I think it was my best year in high school. It was my freshman year. Um, and uh, just stats-wise, I should say. But, uh it was a uh, it was a special uh, special time for me. Um, I was very proud, obviously being a freshman on varsity. But uh, some of those relationships I made with some of those guys, I still have, I still keep in touch with them today, and uh, we we go back and uh, tell some stories every once in a while. Do you? I mean, winning a state championship is the ultimate goal. Goal, you know, being a you know first team all district and all state players, obviously the personal goal. Um, how do you rank the importance in today's world of, you know, select ball? Kids are spending more with their select teams year round than what they are with the high school ball. For me, Robbie, I still see the importance. I love high school ball. I love putting on a jersey and going to compete for your area, for your school. Um, and when you get into some of the smaller towns outside of Houston, right, like where we come from, it's your town. It's your city that you're competing for. But it's, it's, I don't say the last, but before you go to college, it's the experience of going out and just competing and putting numbers up out there. And a little different from select baseball. Um, how do you feel about that, about the importance of high school ball? Oh, select baseball is great. Um, I couldn't even imagine what the amateur baseball is now on the select side. But um, there's something special about playing for your high school or playing for your city, playing with those guys that grew up down the street from you in the same neighborhood. Um, those, those relationships and those times will stay with you forever. Because uh, I still have a lot of friends that I grew up playing with that I we still talk about baseball to this day. We still talk about, hey, remember sophomore year in high school when this happened? Remember when we won the state championship? Um, it's it's those relationships that you get to grow up and see your friends grow up, grow as baseball players, have personal challenges in their life and everything, and, and be there for them. And it's something you can't replace. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit. Uh, coming out of high school, you committed to the University of Texas. 
And uh, it seems like the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates were um, able to convince you otherwise and, and go play. What was that like being drafted out of high school and going straight into pro ball? So my, my thoughts was I always wanted to play pro ball. And I started switch hitting when I was a junior in high school. Wow. And I wanted to – I knew my best chance to make it to the big leagues because that was my ultimate goal is to make it to the big leagues is, is to sign as po- early as possible and get as most of the bats as I could. And I wanted to go to UT. That was like my number one school. Ended up getting <clears throat> recruited, signed with them. It was a dream come true. But when the draft came around, um, it wasn't really where I wanted to go in the draft. So kind of held off, and I, my, I kept my commitment strong to UT. And that was back when you could wait till August to sign. Yeah. So I played Kyle Chapman summer ball the whole time, the whole summer, enjoying my time. I was about to move into UT, Austin, moving to my apartment the next week. They they give me a final offer. We negotiate all summer. They give me a final offer. They're like, hey, deadline's in 24 hours. You either take it or leave it. So at that point, they put the they put the the offer in front of me, and I was just like, look, this is I have to make a life decision right here. Um, is this what I really want to do? I really want to be a big leaguer. Like that's my my number one goal. So that was that was a a long, hard, thoughtful conversation I had with my parents and. And that was the best thing for me, looking back, and uh, to make that decision to go to Pirate City, get on a plane, and go down to Bradenton, Florida, and go to Pirate City and start my 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 minor league career and uh, go play rookie ball. Yeah, so you know, you start there, you know, work your way up, and then on I believe it was 2012, July 24th, 2012, you were traded to the Houston Astros, your hometown team. What I mean, what's that like? So it was weird. I was playing a Double A. Um, I was having a pretty decent season, nothing too crazy. And, and like, it's like the third or fourth inning of the game, we're playing Altoona, Pennsylvania. We're playing in Reading. I was playing for the curve. And uh, it was like third, fourth inning. I go on deck. Manager comes up and grabs me out off deck. And he's like, sit down. You're not hitting. I'm like, I just hit a double. Like, I'm one for one. Like, <laughs> what, what's going on? And like, things start rolling through my head. Like, maybe I'm getting called up to AAA. Like, I've never moved moved a level during the season in the minor leagues. So I'm like, this is cool. I'm going to AAA. They sit me down, like the game's going on, like seventh thing. I'm like, what's going on? I asked the manager. He's not telling me anything. I'm like, what's going on? After the game, he's like, hey, you just got traded to Houston. Like, get your stuff. You got to get on a plane. I was like, next morning. I was like, wow. Like, it really hit me hard. And he's like, you're going to Corpus Christi. I'm like, perfect. Not too far from home. I've been there before. And uh, that was that was a uh, special time. I bet so. I, I bet it's exciting to come back and play. Like, you talked about the relationship and friends. Now you get to play for their team. Yeah, the coolest thing I think, I didn't go to Corpus Christi because the team was on the road. We're playing in San Antonio. When I got to San Antonio, when I got to the field, Craig Biggio was waiting there for me to talk to me. And that was like my my hero growing up was Craig. I yeah, thought I wanted to be Craig Biggio, and uh, he. I thought it was the coolest thing. I remember calling my parents and being like, "Craig Biggio was here," and he, he sat there in the dugout and talked to me the whole time. We talked just life, baseball, everything, and I. That was one of the coolest moments to me. And just the way to jump off my Astros career was to sit with a guy who has his number retired in the stadium. Yeah. And uh, that's something I'll never forget. Yeah. So April 24th, 2013, you know what that day is? Yeah. What is that? Uh, that's when I made my de- debut. How was that? I what was the phone call? Yeah, you get the phone call, what, what was it like? So I played in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, AAA. I had a really good spring training, and I knew I was going to make the team, but I made it to, like, the last cut. 
and this was my first spring training with Astros. And uh, I remember going, it was like a couple weeks into the AAA season. We go to Albuquerque. We're going to leave that day. They call me in after the game. They're like, hey, you just got called up like you're going to the big leagues. So I, I remember another thing I will never forget is calling my dad and said, hey, I just got called up to the big leagues. We're playing in Houston tomorrow, day game, Mariners. And he was like, no way. And I was like, yeah, I'll be there tonight. Like, whatever. I remember going to the park, and it was Joe Saunders pitching. There's no more Joe Saunders. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I let off. Debut in the big leagues, hit lead off, whatever. And it was, uh, I remember, I remember my first base coach at the time, or my outfield coach, Dave Clark, who's a, a, a he's an awesome human, uh, awesome coach. And he's like, you only get one first pitch. And I remember him throwing the first pitch of the game and I didn't swing. And I just, he threw it right down the middle. I was like, I don't know. There's my, there's my <laughs> chance. Next pitch, I swing, broken bat, grounder, weak ground ball to shortstop. First bat. I'm like, all right, got that. Like, whatever, got it over with. Next to bat, I I foul off a pitch or so, I think, and uh, I hit one down the line. I'm like, that's foul. And it bounces right off the line into the seats for a ground roll double. So that was my first hit. Yeah. But that's pretty cool, man. It is. It was special. And it's something I, I think about. Every once in a while, but some, like another thing, I'll never, never forget. Yeah, um, we got a few more minutes here. Kind of mix it up. Uh, just kind of what are your what are your thoughts on today's you know you know training? One of the topics we're going to dive in later in this segment is is today's training of modern athletes, particularly with youth high school athletes, baseball players. You know, uh, is it enough or is it overkill a little bit? Uh, just kind of what are your what are your thoughts on the way we're we're attacking things today? I think the training. And the game itself is evolving every day. And the game is completely different in the big league level than where I when I broke in at 13. And just how guys are used, guys out of the bullpen are used, how the platooning, like, there's so much different. The game's evolving. The training's evolving. Um, you talk to some old coaches, and they're like, we took the offseason off. But now you guys, this is a full-time job. Like, you guys can't take any time off. Um it's just it's evolving to a point where um, it is a full time job, even at an amateur level. If you want to be at the top level and play with the with the big with the big dogs, there's there's guys out there just grinding, wanting to be there. Yeah, I feel like the bar is just being set higher and higher and higher. So it's either keep up or you just get left behind a little bit. Exactly, especially with the access of so many guys playing now. There's so many kids playing, and then you mix in. Then you mean talk about the Dominican and South America. Yeah. How do you, and this is for both of you, how do you feel when you're talking about some of the decisions and the platoon rules are, are being used different, bullpens, how do you all feel that how the decision, um, you know, who's calling the shots necessarily to say who's pitching next and using, relying on data, relying on reports now and technology to say who we want to put in and what situation and why. How do you, how do you guys feel about that? And including with hitters. I, th- I think there's so much information out there now, um, and the biggest challenge is just to decipher it and find out what works. And there's a lot of there's a lot of ways you can say, "Hey, I don't I don't agree with that," or "Hey, yeah, that, that really makes sense." And as a player nowadays, you just kind of have to adapt and be like, "Hey, this is this is how I'm going to make my living. I have to be the best at what I can, control what I can't control, and and go from there. And when I get my shot, make the most of it." Yeah, I have to say the same thing. Um, you know, as a starter, the our length has gotten shorter and shorter over time, 
And even as the hitters, I've seen like the A's the past year or two, we're pulling our two hitter, our six hitter in the third inning based on matchups. And yeah. sometimes you're just like, well, what are we doing that for? You know, this guy's hot. Or, you know, it's just it's they love the matchup. They think it's what's going to help us win the game. So, I mean, that's why we've, we've always been the next man up. We've always been a team that we utilize our entire 40-man roster. We have guys getting called up left and right. Everyone's making an impact no matter how little, no matter how big. And that's just one of those things where, like Robbie said, you got to be ready and control what you can control, and you always have to be ready for that moment. You know, whenever your name's called, you got to be ready to strap up and go. Yeah, I think one thing that's kind of overlooked in, in the technology, we talked about the Twitter wars and the coaches beating their chest a little bit, is I, I do feel like some of the technology and data, especially in AA and AAA, now that they're allowing these stadiums, they're bringing that tech into the stadiums, trackmen and such, is it's giving guys opportunities uh, based off their numbers and what their pitches can do um, or, or, you know, how able to, you know, their ability to make uh, consistent hard contact it may be giving some guys opportunities to say, hey, his numbers may not be playing well in AA or AAA right now, but based off the data and what we see in trends, he should be able to produce at the next level. So let's grab that guy and give him an opportunity. I mean, you look at Tampa Bay, Oakland's a good example. You get guys, you're like, who the hell is this guy, right? Um, look at Tampa, some of the guys that help him run through the playoffs. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow. Had a you know maybe maybe before by the eye because in the stats that guy didn't get the opportunity but the data says based off of what he consistently does he should be able to play at this level I, I like that and like you said um, I've seen a lot of guys left behind in the minor leagues just because their numbers weren't the the old school numbers weren't there or the eye test didn't pass but there's a lot of guys getting the shot now where you're, if your old the batting average the old school numbers don't match up they're still getting a chance because the other numbers say they should be doing better than they should. Let me ask you this, Robbie. Do you think it has to do with because guys in the big leagues still or have a little bit more or better command versus guys that are like double-A guys? Is that, do, you, do you think that plays a role into that type of matchup? Yes and no. Um, I think it's like – I think one of the hardest leagues to hit is is the rookie ball, low-A, high-A levels because you're still trying to figure out who you are as a hitter. Yeah. You got guys that really don't have any control, but they have plus stuff. And they're, they're getting guys out just on their stuff. And then when you get to AAA and the big leagues and you start met, mixing the guys with plus stuff and they know what they're doing and you have a catcher who knows what they're doing, it, it's a, a perfect storm. And that's when those guys you really take off. You see the guys take off. But um, there's so many numbers and so many just different things that you can look at besides the old school stats anymore. Yeah. All right. Um, finish it up here. I got a couple of um, questions for you, just kind of random, you know, top of your head here, see what you've got. Um, so the first one was going to be greatest baseball memory, but I think I've already got that. I think the maybe the major league debut calling dad. Um, all right, let's go. What are you more scared of snakes or spiders? Snakes. Why? Spiders. Don't, the spiders have never bugged me. Um, snakes are just snakes. I think that, uh, just the the aspect of you walking up on a snake is, is more is is more fearful for me than actually the snake itself. We got Christmas coming up. What's on Robbie Grossman's Christmas list? I was, I was joking with my girlfriend. She asked me this. I said, "She said, what do you want for Christmas?" I said, "Just Yeti cups. Like that's what I'm going to use more than anything." Like, <laughs> if Yeti's listening right now, Robbie Grossman, hook him up. Uh, are you a last minute like for your girlfriend? Like, are you planning? Are you on Amazon? Are you Christmas Eve, running to Memorial City Mall and running through their shopping. 
in my head, it, it goes like, hey, I need to order this. And then <laughs> weeks go by and I'm like, oh man, I'm running out of time. So, yeah. Well, I think this year we could all use the COVID excuse. It's <laughs> yeah. delayed. You know, COVID was supposed <laughs> to be here a couple of weeks Told ago. Told me a week and it ended up being three. Yeah, I mean, that's what we got. All right, I'll finish it up with this. I mean, um, for me, knowing you the last couple of years, uh, you know, you, you really are, uh, you're an incredible person, man, and you give back so much to the athletes, and um, you're just really down to earth. Um, you know, I actually, we like to tune in, you know, to some of the Oakland games, you know, uh, obviously if, if Dan or somebody's pitching, you know, we're going to tune in, but like watching you play the game and I think it's just you, I think it's just the culture you guys have had the last couple of years too in Oakland, but you always look like you're having fun when you're in there swinging, you look like you're having fun and everything that you do. Um, I think that's who you are. I think you kind of set a standard for what we want, what we'd like our high school athletes to be. So we appreciate that. And you coming around, um, I think, uh, you're one of your former high school coaches once said this about you. He said, uh, he was fun to coach, looked like he was having fun all the time and having the time of his life playing the game. I think that's one of the best compliments that you can get. And I think that really sums up who you are. No, one thing I've always said, we've always joked about it. If, uh, you know, pitchers can play GM and stuff like that. They always ask me, like, you know, what, what type of hitters would you want on your team? What type of players? And I said, if you can give me nine Robbie Grossmans, I'll take nine Robbie Grossmans because I know they're going to play as hard as they can. They're going to love the game. They'll be the best teammate. And that's just the best combo you can have. Yeah, I, I, I think that's what they've what y'all have done the last few years in Oakland and why y'all been successful. So. Well, I appreciate the kind words, guys. Yeah. Uh, Robbie, we appreciate you stepping in today and coming in and doing this. And uh, look forward to doing it again, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.